All righty. Well, good to be back home here. Um, can you remind me what time, what time should I leave here to go to Burlington? <laughs> How much time do I have? Okay, okay. All right. So if you were here last week um, and you heard someone bodily, um, you may remember that he used an illustration of a fresh corn husk and then a dry corn husk. Yeah? And, um, and he used the passage of Jesus where Jesus said, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Selwyn's point was sometimes what we look at with our eyes, what looks so you know, you know, good, there's actually maybe more powerful in things that don't look as good. And the, uh, the seeds that can reproduce this will multiply many times over was actually in the one that looked like it was dead and dying and dry. And so Selman was dealing with our sense of spiritual sight. But today we're moving from the senses of a sight to the senses of smell. And the title of my message, let's see if this... Gotta click the switch, sorry. Okay, how do we smell? How do we smell? Uh, in preparation for this message, I, I read a little article in Smithsonian Magazine about, uh, about our sense of smell and how what one person perceives as a heavenly perfume may be an intolerable stench to another. And the research in this article uh, talks about how two, no two people experience a scent the same way. There's a lot of room of interpretation between, on the scale between, of where a particular odor falls between the spectrum of, of roses to trash. And it, it, the article went on to say that the way that we perceive cell, it actually is just how certain amino acids are present and arranged with a particular gene. And so somebody can smell Limburger cheese, and most of us, I think, would say, you know, that's disgusting, right? But I guess there's a few who say, oh, man, that's a, I think I want to take a chunk of that, right? <laughs> it's just how the amino acids. So we're, we're thinking about today, uh, our text today also refers about perceptions of, of cer a certain fragrance. So let's take a look. This is actually the passage that the Assemblies of God this year is using as the theme verse for the mission emphasis, whether you know that or not. I know in Burlington, they actually had posters that kind of... And so Chon asked me actually to utilize this passage to think about uh, mission together. And so the text is, is this. The text is this. Can somebody give me a hand? Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, 
we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray over your word that your word would be, we know it's good seed, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to break up the hard ground so that the seed could fall into the soil of our hearts and produce fruit that would remain. And I pray for your help. There's more to share here than I have time to share, so I pray that you would lead me in what's most appropriate for this crowd in Belmont this morning. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, spiritually speaking, what do we smell like to God this morning? And spiritually speaking, how do we smell to people around us? And how is our sense of smell? Is our sense of smell attuned? Are our amino acids aligned in such a way that they are attuned with what pleases God? What God smells and likes? Or are they askew from what the smell that, God, that pleases God? These are some of the questions we want to ponder as we go through the passage this morning. This passage really presents itself to jump right into practical application as the aroma of Christ, that we are the fragrance of Christ in the world, that we bring the fragrance of Christ, or that's what we are called to do. But I, I think before we go immediately to application, I think it's also really good, and it's actually, I found it very helpful to reconsider what was actually going on at the church at Corinth in which this verse, these verses were written. So the big idea this morning is this, is that our spiritual aroma is directly connected to our values and our value system. And for the Corinthian church, they had a distorted value system. They were looking at the wrong things and they were smelling things that they thought were of value, but their amino acids were askew. <laughs> they weren't aligned with what God's, God's smell. And the way this kind of dem demonstrated itself in a number of ways, but some of the ways is that they rejected Paul because he was poor. And that he did manual labor. You may know that Paul was a, a co-vocational uh, minister. He made tents, right? So he worked with his hands. And he also suffered greatly. And so they're looking at this. This guy, he's poor. He works menial job. He suffered a lot in his life. And they're kind of ashamed of him as their leader. But at the same time, there were some other leaders who came to the church at Corinth. And Paul dubbed them, at least the way the NIV renders it, as the super apostles. You can just kind of imagine them in their super, <laughs> their super apostle garb. And unlike Paul, they had wealth. And they were eloquent in speech. They were the first century TV preachers of the, of the day. And these were the ones that the Corinthians held in high esteem. But for Paul, they were like, man, I don't, this guy, he's kind of, we're kind of embarrassed of this guy. And so Paul wrote for the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and he also did a visit to the church at Corinth to try to correct some of the stuff 
what was undergirding these distorted values and by reminding them of the way of God in that God revealed himself in the cross of Jesus. And that it was the way of the cross that brought their salvation and revealed the character of God and demonstrated the new kind of life that the people of God in Corinth were called to live, that were to be lives that were marked by things like humility and, and strength in weakness and service and generosity and even willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And all these Paul demonstrated in his life and ministry. So our aroma is connected to the values that we hold and the values that we keep. And, and, but going deeper to the values, where do we get our values from? The values emerge from a deeper place. And that is what captures our imagination, our attention, and what we think is important in life. And that is rooted in what we worship and who we worship. I, I like what pa Pastor Timothy Keller said. In order to change your behavior, you need to change what and who you worship. Because our behavior is a direct, our values and our behavior emerge out of what and who we worship. And I thought about this in the, in the history of the people of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Last month at Mount Hope, uh, what did we, what, what was the emphasis of last month's preaching series? Rest and the idea of the biblical Sabbath, right. And so I thought about this, and this may seem like an excursion here, and it probably is, but I thought of it when I was preparing this message, the idea of Sabbath. What does the value, what does observing the Sabbath, what values does observing the Sabbath represent? Like, like what's contained in people that would actually stop and rest and observe the Sabbath and remember God and stop working and getting off the grindstone? Like, what are the values that would, that would be necessary to say, I value that enough to be the kind of person that would actually observe the Sabbath? And you have to go back to when the Sabbath was founded, of course, in creation, but also when it was encoded into law in Sinai, what, what was the the incident that happened around when it was given in the law. Remember that the people of God were in bondage in Egypt, right? And the gods of Egypt were not Yahweh, where they were not the God of, you know, Abraham, the God of Moses. They were other gods. And Pharaoh is the leader. What was the value of Pharaoh? Produce more, accumulate more, consume more. These were the dominant values of Egypt. Does, do those values sound familiar in any way? You know? But we were called, the people of God uh, were called out of Egypt and were miraculously delivered from Egypt. They were provided miraculously the manna of God in the desert. And they are on the threshold of going into the promised land. 
And what was God's word to Pharaoh through his mouthpiece, uh, Moses, to Pharaoh? He said, let, God said, let my people go. What? That they may worship me. And as they worshiped him, when they, when they went to Sinai, God revealed himself in the commandments. And, and uh, I don't know if my clicker is working. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you guys help me out. Uh, you know the Big Ten here. The first three all have about their identity in God. You shall have no other gods before me. We're not serving the gods, Pharaoh and his gods anymore. We, have, we should not make any idols. You should not take the name of the Lord in vain. And then number four, there's the Sabbath one. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy because of the God you serve. The God that modeled Sabbath keeping himself that he modeled it for you, the God who provides for you. And then the last six are all about how we relate to other human beings. And the hinge is, is actually the Sabbath. So being the kind of people that would observe the Sabbath to remember God, and in order to be good neighbors to others around us, is rooted in, in the worship of God. Is, does this make sense? So it's worship God that gives rise to our values, that gives rise to our behavior, that determines our aroma in the world. Now, I'll just mention this. After the Big Ten, you know, God gave a number of other commandments, but on the heels of the Big Ten, he goes on to talk about other ways to be neighborly, and he talks about particularly vulnerable groups that he says, as my people, I want you to value these people for you to particularly remember them. And he names them in the, in the next chapter. He talks about orphans and widows and the foreigners, the resident aliens, the immigrants and refugees. And he talks about the poor. And he says, particularly, these are the kind of people. I want you be the, to be the kind of people that pay attention to these because you were a foreigner and an alien in Egypt. And I brought you out so you remember Foreigners, aliens, your myths, your attitude about them should be different. Your aroma toward them should be different. So back to our text. If you hit the next slide, I think that takes us back to our text. Yes. So thanks be to God who always leads us in, as captives in Christ. That's an interesting phrase. I don't have time to go there. In, in, in Christ's triumphal procession. And uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are, to God, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma that brings death. And to the other the aroma that brings life. That's very powerful, isn't it? That God uses us. Or he can, if we are tethered to him, to bring the aroma of Christ to the world, that he uses us to bring the aroma of life of the kingdom. That's what's at stake, life and death. And part of what determines that is whether we, as the people of God, have the aroma of Jesus as we go throughout our, our daily life, individually and then collectively as a community that we could be known and people could smell something different when they are part of our community or when they rub shoulders with us. And 
I think it's interesting that it talks about that we are, first of all, before it talks about being an aroma to others, it talks about being a sweet aroma to God. Right? As the incense goes up into the heavenly worship throne room, we are like that. That's something that we can do. Our, our lives are to be a sweet smell to God. So if God was to take a good whiff <laughs> today, you know, of me, of us, of what we value, what we esteem, how do, we, how do we smell to God? What is our sense of smell? And then, and then in the process of doing that, we are able to be a fragrance to others uh, around us as well. And then I thought about, you know, however we came in today, our smell is our smell. <laughs> you know, if, if we're off a little bit, you know, I mean... It's up to Christ to change our smell. We cannot change our smell. We, we will manifest whatever it is our spiritual smell is in, in the world. It's not us trying to clean ourselves up. It's that when we experience the transformation of Jesus, just as dramatically as the people of God came out of Egypt and God delivered them and he provided for them, Paul makes the point, he makes this connection with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New. And he says the New Covenant in Christ is greater than that. What he has delivered us from is greater than delivering you out of Egypt. He's delivered you from us, from the bondage of sin and death and self-centeredness. And he is in the process of transforming us and reorienting our values according to to his kingdom. So the way I kind of see it, uh, uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. I think it's the next one. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, okay. L- l- let me, let me, let me go. Can you go back? I'm sorry. Can you go back through the three slides? That, that's what I was looking for right there. Okay. Is that who and what we worship determines our values and, and our values determine our aroma. The passage in, in the New Testament that to me kind of corresponds to the Old Testament passage of the identity of people of God or one that comes to mind is the passage out of Matthew 5. And can you hit that? Yeah. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will set on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in or need clothes 
or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it unto me. This passage of Jesus, you know, the question of the righteous, you know, it's almost like they were doing these acts without knowing they were doing them, right? Because it was who they were. And, um, and I think that's the way it is. It's not so much as trying to do it, but it's the essence of who we are, the kinds of people that would do these kinds of things. Uh, when Reed and I pastored in the north end of Boston, um, we lived, for the 13 years we were pastoring in Boston, for six years we lived in the church building. And we had an apartment in the church building. And so at any time of day or night, you might get a knock on the door. And I remember um, those years, I remember distinctly the Lord saying, pay attention to the knock at the door. Because it could be me, the Lord, knocking at the door. And the knock at the door in an urban church, you know, we had an opportunity to be the fragrance of Christ. But also, sometimes God brought the fragrance of Christ to us through the people who came through the knock at the door. One of those persons that became precious to us and important to us was a guy named Theodore Roosevelt Adams. And we knew him as Teddy. And Teddy called Rita on a snowy winter night. He didn't come to the door first, but he, he called her and he needed a ride because he just had a toe amputated due to diabetes. And we made a connection with him early in that church plant. And he became the adopted grandfather to Janae and Brady. And for the next 10 years, about every Wednesday night, we shared a meal before midweek Bible study. He would, go, uh, he would go with us, our family, on a day off. Uh, he became, you know, really very important to us. And Ted brought a certain something. He was a retired student, uh, teacher from Boston Latin School in Boston. Uh, he, he was a leader in many ways. But as a young pastor, he mentored me in biblical justice as it related to race. Now, in the 80s and 90s in the North End, it was actually a very racist place. And I saw a black young youth that would come in and wander into the North End, get beat up uh, for wandering in the, the, the neighborhood. Ted used to kid Rita and I. said, you're going to find me with cement boots in Boston Harbor one of these days. But he, Ted had to make a commitment to come. There was no reason that this black man would walk down Hanover Street to come to our church and come to our house to share a meal, but out of a commitment that he felt like this is what God was asking him to do. And it cost him something. Twice we know that he was assaulted on Hanover Street, walking to our church, walking to our place. But the influence, the aroma that Ted brought to that church, because he was willing to do that. At that time, we had a lot of young people in our congregation, but we had about maybe a dozen or so senior Italian women. And these senior Italian women that were born in the subculture of the Italian North End, uh, they had not known people of color <laughs> until they met Teddy. And so for 10 years, our senior corps were 12 Italian women and Teddy. And Ted was the first person in our church, our young church, 
that we sent home to heaven. And in our little basement sanctuary, we had the sweet, sweet Teddy Adams memorial service. We saw these Italian women with tears in their eyes because of their beloved Teddy. But unless Teddy was willing to come and it, out of commitment and suffering and come and become a part of us, those women's life and that congregation, the DNA of that congregation would not change. He was willing to come and do that. There are, uh, there are many examples that we could give. Um, I think of my friends Dave and Barb Serrells. I just preached a couple weeks ago. Reed and I were there for their 30th anniversary. This little congregation in East Boston, Assembly, Central Assemblies of God, it's never been over about 50 people at its peak. And Dave, just like the Apostle Paul, because of this poor urban congregation, he's always had to be a bivocational pastor. So people look at somebody like Dave Serrells and say, you know, is he a successful, you know, pastor, whatever? This little church, this little tugboat of a, of a, church, of a church, they, they feed 300 people that come through, through, through their food pantry every week, 25 tons of food. Uh, they uh, have three classes, uh, English classes, uh, teaching ESL three times a, a week, uh, about 75 students. And when we were there, these students that were learning, they came and sang a song in, in English to show us their English, and, and they were just filled with joy. Uh, clothing, that uh, they have a clothing, 75 people a week that, that receive clothing. Because they have a diverse congregation, people from Africa and all around the world, they build bridges to Africa, and they are providing for, for sponsorships for people in Africa and sending clothing and all kind of dynamics things. Because they had violence in their community and even somebody in their own community that was murdered not far from their church building, Dave has become an advocate for peace that's known in the city of Boston, of walking the streets, being the presence of Christ, advocating for peace in the city. Uh, there's so many other things I could say just about Dave and Barb, but they, to me, are the aroma of Christ. And not only Dave and Barb, but the congregation, the team that's serving with them, uh, the testimony of many of the people, Central Assembly, now, now called Central Community Church, is a place to belong. It's a place of family. And that church is doing it. Um, can I take five more minutes? We'll see how Burlington does. Um, there's another person that I met here. This is another example um, because my work has been with like immigrant and refugee leaders. Um, I'm very attuned to when I see an immigrant or a refugee and to, to hear what, you know, what they're doing in their lives. And there was somebody visiting here at, at, at the Belmont Church, uh, grateful, uh, and I, I always have a hard time with their last name. Um, can you, yeah, here's a picture of her. Maybe some of you recognize her. She graduated from Gordon-Conwell and we were able to have her and other African students at Gordon-Conwell in our home. And we learned more about what she was doing. And so she's the founder. She has two master's degree and a law degree from Nigeria. And she has a heart. There's a lot of uh, violent conflict that's happening in Nigeria now. And so Grateful founded uh, a, a, an organization called GIFT, Great Innovators Foundation for Transformation. And this is a ministry, a holistic ministry, uh, serving Food and clothing and Bibles and the gospel and uh, 
they just, uh, within the last month, were donated 240 acres to start a farm and that will be used to provide for people that are in vulnerable situations, but also to teach people how to do sustainable farming so that they can take those skills with them. And so uh, just go through the slides real quick. So this is one place, a shanty town. These are internally displaced people in Africa and uh, GIFT, along with other partners, are ministering to these communities, these people who are kind of have run for their lives. Go to the next slide. This is a, a, a pile of yam seedlings because they have this 240-acre farm now. And this is a small portion of the seedlings that they need to plant that will feed the people that they're ministering to, but also, again, the farming, teaching people farming and things like that. And I said, uh, grateful, I talked to her this week, I said, how much more? She says, well, we need about $700 to buy the rest of the seedlings. So today, in the Burlington First Service, somebody came up to me and said, I'm a farmer. I, don't, I can't do $700, but I could do like maybe half of it. So somebody came up and said, I want to make sure Grateful gets this. So if you're interested <laughs> to do something very practical, that's, that's a very practical need. The, the value of generosity, that's, that's, that's also part of the word that Paul gave to the Corinthians, right? Because he said, you guys said that you wanted to serve the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem who are experiencing the famine. Finish that work. Generosity. We're in missions month. You know, there's an opportunity for us to say, what are we going to utilize our resources? There's going to be opportunity to do faith promise renewals and to increase our commitment so that we can do different mission holistically, indeed, and word around the world. Let us be generous people. But that's one way. And this last slide is, uh, this is a Muslim-majority uh, village area. And this is a football club. And they were able to share the gospel with them. And these are Bibles that they were given to these, uh, these young men. And so that's, a, uh, that's uh, Grateful, the ministry of Grateful, who was here as a part of our church, who's now back in Nigeria serving her, her people. You know, and there's so much others. I mean, even among Mount Hope. You got Sylvia, Sylvia's Haven. How many thousands of people that have gone through Sylvia's home of radical hospitality? Uh, you know, you got Pastor Eddie and the team going into the prisons, doing the, the ministry of Jesus. Um, I polled the pastors last night about nine o'clock, and I said, "Hey guys, can you think of people who in the church who really exhibit the aroma of Christ?" And they kind of gave me back 12 to 20, but then Pastor Rick said, but don't mention their name because they'll get really mad if you actually call, say their name out from the platform. So I'm playing it safe. I'm not going to say, but what I'm just going to say is that the pastors were able to quickly identify, you know, people in this congregation, Lynn and, uh, uh, and Jean in the, the university community, BU, being the aroma of Christ. But others who are doing it, sometimes in really heroic ways, like Sylvia, like just like you know, off the charts, but it's also the normal, as we go through the rhythm of life, God calls us all to do that as we move through the world, to be aware and to carry the values and the scent of the kingdom with us, to smell what God is in tune with. And so I leave you with these questions. If you can help me, I think it's, uh, check our smell. What do we smell like to God what do we smell like to the people around us? Is our sense of smell attuned to God's sense of smell or the values of this world? Second, are we expressing the aroma of God in deed and word, especially among those gods, particularly the highlights in Scripture? 
may we have the attention of those that God specifically points out to us. May the Spirit lead us. And because I work with refugees, I'm, I'm, I'm more aware than many of the needs for refugees in the state of Massachusetts. And the, you have probably read in the mail about how there's so many migrants coming in, not only the United States, but also to the Commonwealth, and a dire need. And I've, I've learned about Christians and Christian communities that are poor, like the Haitian churches and the Haitian church community centers that are doing like heroic work uh, that very few people really know about. But I know there's needs for more host homes and things like that. There are a lot of Christians who have space. It's just like a willingness to take a risk to learn how to use the space. So I want to see that little seed here. If you would be willing to consider opening your space for a refugee person or a refugee family, um, come talk to me. I'm here, and I'll, I'll share more about that with you. Um, one last thing. What one step can we take to express the aroma of God this week and in the coming weeks? Let me pray for you as I head out the door. Lord, thank you that that this all begins with you and your mighty delivering presence in our lives, that you lived a sacrificial life, you died a sacrificial death, you raised from the dead to deliver us from the bondage of sin and self-centeredness and to free us from that and to give us the values of your kingdom. So, Lord, would you help us here at Mount Hope Belmont in Burlington uh, Lord, tweak our amino acids so that we can smell as you want us to smell and we can smell things according to your, your smelling. And uh, help us, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name.